This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. We spoke last time about the concept of God that we believe in and how we define the God that Jews believe in and distinguish it from a different God. Um, we mentioned that you may call it Allah as long as you're referring to what we refer to and saying we refer to God, then we are talking about the same God and there's no problem with that. There are a few more points about our definition of God which is a um, very important pieces in the puzzle. In other words, what other points about God do we believe in as far as fundamental uh, emuna of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. What are the points that flow into that um, description of God? Last time we described the, the core definition as existence in itself and something that needs nothing else to uh, exist, but there are other properties that are sort of corollaries that flow out of it and are very important elements they're also very relevant when discussing God. <coughs> Let's take the Rambam's primary nakuda that God is not corporal. God does not have a guf. Now, there has been, uh, every so often, there's a flurry of scholarly activity proving or claiming to prove that X or Y or Z, there was such a belief there is nothing written specifically by anyone of standing in the Rishonim that would argue on this point. There's simply vague references to those who think not like that. The Rambam is very passionate about it. The Ravid, um says in Hagar something about Tovim and the Rabbim, great bigger people who didn't believe that way. We don't know who it means. It's very hard to believe that some of that existed. We don't have any written sheetas of that. And the truth is, it is almost a logical impossibility. Because if we're to ask ourselves, the core of Judaism is the distinction between our to Judaism, and, and a, a, um, a most, an unbiased reading of the Sefer Torah in its most natural way, makes it very clear that Avodah Zarah is the big no-no. Um, the Rambam believes that that's the core of all mitzvahs. But whatever it may be, it's clear from reading the Chumash in a simple and intelligent way that Avodah Zarah is, um, is the antithesis of Klal Yisrael, its beliefs, and the Emes. Um, the game of... If, if, if God was another corpus, another entity. So we're playing back to the game. Is it Baal? Is it Vishnu? Is it Hashem? That's just a, that's just a question of name game, um, and that's it, it, it defeating the entire point of what the Torah is saying. The Torah is saying, Lorisim Koltmuna, all concrete, physical idols are pure Sheker, and a Baruch Hu is something different. 
So the Rambam, if you look carefully, even the oneness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is a result of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's incorporeality. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not part of a system that is fits any of the um, attributes that we could possibly define. It's certainly not hands, feet, physical entities, but even um, activities. Any word that we can use to describe Akadosh Baruch, anything in this world cannot be used to describe Akadosh Baruch Hu. S- um, question? So, I know you really going to get towards this, but what does it mean when it says, for example, by Sidon, that by Yamkir Hashem Eshugofri? Um, so, um, the question has been asked, you find Sukim where Akadosh Baruch Hu says he will do something, by Yamkir. Much more difficult than that, isn't it? Ram himself speaks about it, is it says, Vayeshev Hashem Lamishpat. You find plenty of terms describing HaKadosh Baruch Hu it with human terms. Um, that we'll see in a second. But the basic definition of HaKadosh Baruch Hu as not fitting into any physical um, description that we could give. That is a very important episode in understanding HaKadosh Baruch Hu. If you want to, logically, it's a corollary to the first point. Because anything that, w- that, that we can define physically is the result of something. And um, things have some sort of physical, um, th- the, basic laws that, the, the, the basic law that applies to anything physical, that anything I experience, is a cause and effect. So that is something which does not apply to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The second point that does not apply to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, or the second title which describes HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is Ein Sof, meaning boundless. Boundless, again, it's one of those words where we're using it in the negative rather than the positive. Um, I once heard somebody in Meshatora many years ago was telling me that he pondered the idea of an infinite God, and he thinks he finally understands what infinite is. I told him, either you hopefully you're fooling yourself, or else you've gone off the brink. And there is no such thing as infinite that the human mind can understand, because by definition, the mind can only understand things that have some sort of definition, some sort of defining quality, not an infinite quality. Um, it's just like a computer can't deal with infinite. It can only reach a point and a computer, a wise computer with a good algorithm can say, problem unsolvable because it leads to an infinite amount of steps. But um, there is no such thing as grasping infinity because human mind grasps things that have some sort of feature, of some sort of limiting feature, and it doesn't. The word and the um, many of the <coughs> Kabbalah's farm, uh, the Gra also, um, writes very clearly that the word Ein Sof is not a description of God, but it's rather a limitation on the terminology we may use vis-a-vis God. Um, if we are to put, we cannot make a statement about a Kaddish Baruch Hu which applies, um, which applies any limits to him. So to, to say a Kaddish Baruch Hu could not, even the idea that if we do enough Averis, HaKadosh Baruch Hu cannot redeem us is also wrong in this light. There are no cannots. 
So we cannot use the term cannot as regards to Hashem. So the word infinite is not a picture of Hashem, but it's a rule in the in what we may or may not use in terms of describing Akadosh Baruch Hu. So any feature which will put some limit is not uh, cannot be used. So therefore, Akadosh Baruch Hu is called Yochel. Akadosh Baruch Hu knows everything because it, that's also seen as a corollary of um, in of being infinite. Um, anything. All the descriptions of Akadosh Baruch Hu that carried in English the word omni to it, but as omniscient or omnipotent, etc., are all terms that emanate from this principle. That by limiting it, you are giving it some sort of corpus. Not a corpus physically, but a corpus in terms of um, being. The angels, for instance, the Rambam says, are defined not they're not physical beings but they are defined via their abil- the limit of their abilities so for instance refoil can heal people but a only if god says so and refoil cannot bring prinosa gavriel can punish people but only if akarishbach sent him to and only punish people and not heal people for instance and etc so we have a very clear distinction between anything and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has no limits and, uh, uh, and every, everything else, including angels, are defined by their limits. The, um, the Rambam says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu's unity, which is, seems to be in the Psukim, our core definition of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the oneness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which I'd like to address separately, but as far as a list of descriptions of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Rambam defines it as a corollary of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's incorporeality. And, and in the argument he uses as follows. If there are two, then each one must be a defined entity. For instance, if two people look exactly alike, I have Chaim, Reuven and Shimon who look exactly alike. And they're twins, identical twins, and I have a very hard time distinguishing them. So um, somebody will say, if you look very carefully, there's some sort of freckle on Reuven's back ear, and so on. Or, if, if I can't even find any freckles, I'll tell him, Reuven is the fellow standing in the right-hand corner, Shimon is the fellow standing in the left-hand corner. They're occupying different areas in time and in place. I can shoot Reuven and Shimon will be alive. I can shoot Shimon and Reuven will be alive. So limits of time and space create two. But if I say there are two types of justice, and justice A and justice B are identical, then that sentence doesn't mean anything. I'm saying um, I take two identical books of justice, law books, and I say this is justice A and this is B, it doesn't mean anything. They're exactly the same. If I cannot distinguish, and the word distinguish means placing some limit on one or the other, some sort of definition, again the word fine, fin, which means a, a boundary, a border, some sort of aspect of um, limit, I cannot define two. So when I speak of two gods, then I am not then I am either speaking of 
some sort of limitations, or I'm just playing with words. The Ramban in his argument um, with the Galochim, uh, with the Christians, when, and again, it's hard to learn exact things from these things. You don't know which of it was said um, when he speaks about Chazal and so on. You always have to take these type of dialogues um, with caution, whether they express a real opinion or a sort of Lishitoscha opinion or, you know, you know, with, 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 uh, with the might and the military on the side of the Galachim, you kind of be, you tread softly. But one point he makes is about the Trinity. And he says, either or, either the Holy Son, the Son and the Holy Spirit and God can have an argument and they can, you know, they can kind of sort of come to blows, divine blows, where one doesn't agree with the other, one differs than the other, one is, is, is somewhere other, and then you've defined three beings, and it's not one, and it's, n- and it's the antithesis of what the Torah says, or you're playing a game. If, uh, you know, if, if I decide to play a spiel and call Ruvain sometimes Ruvain 1, sometimes Ruvain 2, sometimes 3, it's semantics. So make up your mind. It, if, if, if they can be distinguished, if you can say that um, there is some distinction between one and the other, then you have three. If there is no distinction, then you're playing with words. Um, uh, or you're defining different characteristics of one entity, and once again, you don't have to be real beings. But that's the point. So the, the Rambam the Rambam um, presents Achtus as being one of the corollaries of incorporeality. So when we speak about a Kaddish Baruch Hu, and this is one of our limiting f- features, w- the type of arguments um, that I understand better than God, when I argue with a person, even if he's much, 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 much smarter than me, I assume that there's a limit to that person's smartness, and there may be a point that I can make a point. Um, whereas, uh, 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 if God is not limited, then any type of I got you, God, type of stuff, which is very common by PR-looking um, rabbis. Um, you know, I argued with him, and I pressed him to the wall, and I said, how could you do it, and so on and so forth. Either or, either I don't believe in, in Hashem, that's a valid conclusion argument, but this idea where he's a person to play with, and I can, you know, I could, you know, I, I could best him in an argument, so to speak, is rubbish. Yes? So, according to the Rambam's definition of or how Rebbe is defining Achtos here, like one, then, yeah. then is Hashem the only real one there is in the world? Yes. In other words, the, I could, reality, this ties back to the very first um, point that we made last time. Akkadosh uh, Baruch is the only thing that exists, and everything else, like the Ram says, is about existence. So, in, in the end of the days, the, 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 two, the two points kind of fit one scheme. Uh, Kaddish Prabhu is everything and anything that perceives itself as existing and having its own existence and being an entity and self-reflecting, those are all granted from God, but they're not, um, they're not absolute. Now, one more point that is very relevant. So we've defined Kaddish Prabhu as his absoluteness, which includes many, many absolute features, and um, it, it, that includes the oneness, the, in, the incorporality, which is the root of all of it. There's one more point that the Rambam makes about it, which is a very, very important point. 
and this is already a step further, which is Akarish um, who is Elokei Ha'olam, Adon Kol Ha'aretz. Akarish who is the force in, in in creation. He re, he retained his his role. His all-encompassing role is within the world as well. In other words, what we will call Hashkacha, meaning Akarish Baruch Hu has inserted himself into the mechanics of the world, has chosen to run the world, although subtly. And one more Karla, which is important, just the Ram doesn't quite say it here, but it's going to be important in the bigger picture, that the definition of morality is Akarish Baruch Hu. It's a point we're going to be speaking about later, but I, when we're doing it with the package, that's part of, of, of it. Akarish Baruch Hu's self is the incorporality, the existence, the all-encompassing, etc., the infinite aspect. Akarish Baruch Hu has, within creation, which is something that sees itself as being um, separate and individually existent, and Akarish Baruch Hu allows that sense to exist, but he is behind events that are occurring, and morality is defined in terms of Kodesh Baruch Hu. So Kodesh Baruch Hu is the absolute morality, and everything's morality, the quality of morality is measured vis-a-vis Kodesh Baruch Hu. Those are the important characteristics defining Kodesh Baruch Hu. Maybe yes. Maybe really to play there, but I don't know what it means when you say that Hashem is the ultimate reality. Okay, so, so um, I d- it is a point that I wanted to devote maybe possibly a shit that's of Kodesh Baruch Hu being ultimate morality, um, my feeling is that when the Rambam uses a double lotion, the concept of Adon means the ability, um, the, the, the right of authority, meaning that his say-so is the say-so. It's, it's an issue when we deal with what is morality and so on, um, we need to, to discuss it. I just wanted to bring it in at this point, so we have a, a complete picture. Mm-hmm. The problem, I would say, with all of this is that there are two major problems. First of all, um, how do we deal with the mass amount of psukim, etc., that seem to indicate otherwise, where um, God is described in very human terms? One. Two, if we don't know what we're talking about, how can we talk about it? Um, if you come to a, a, to a scientist, an honest scientist, and you say, I would like to propose that there exists um, gebaks, and he says, okay, I'm a scientist, and I, I will be prepared to testing for gebaks. What do gebaks look like? And we say, well, um, they don't, they're invis- totally invisible. So he says, fine, um, I've got some auditory equipment. What do gebaks sound like? And we say, they make no sound. Um, if I go through all of it, the scientists will say it may or may not exist, but I can't talk intelligently about it. Those are two issues that we need to address because, again, you can't play a game where you define God out of any relative existence and then um, and, and then uh, talk about it. You can't play the game on both sides. So we come to the, the the most difficult thing for us to really understand because God's inner existence and, and infinite and so on and so forth 
I'm, I can accept there are things that I have no ciphers to. For instance, we gave a massive ultraviolet light. I mean, humans can't see it, but um, and I'm fine with it. I, I don't, that the fact that I can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. There are many things I can't see, but God is a very important part of what we are, what we do, and so on and so forth. The Rambam, in a certain sense, puts this question somewhere else. When he speaks about Bechira and Yediyah, that's really the core Lemaise issue, where it stops being just a kind of uh, mystical theology and becomes in a very Lemaisetic philosophy. Um, Bechira is the world that we're part of, the sense of the ability to choose, to do, um, the control of our destiny, etc., etc. Akarish Baruch, whose Yediyah is the part that relates to his being infinite, and those two worlds meet at a certain point. We're talking about a world where Kaddish Baruch is pulling the strings, and I'm pulling the strings. So, who is the one doing over here? Um, the um, there's a there's a there's a uh, a very very poetic uh, expression by the Breslover, who says that all questions on God come from, if I remember correctly, the Tuma of the black abyss of Bechira. Basically, what it means to say is the only real questions are at the nexus of interaction between the infinite, undefinable, limitless, with the world that is defined, perceived, palpable, and controlled by us through our free will, etc. And the Rambam says that the answer to that question also lays outside perception rather than inside. It's a tough one. In other words, we can sit back and talk about God because what's not part of our world eh, it can sit well with us. I, I, can, I can speak to you about Martians that float at will and um, you know do somersaults across the planet and well, Mars today is not good because we know it's a Mars or it's not a Mars, but the people living in the, the 99th galaxy uh, over, that's fine. I, I, I mean, you know, it's, it's the, the only question will be, uh, by the way, how'd you find out? But other than that, it's, it, it's, it w- we can accept possibilities outside our realm perception. To live with it day in, day out with this dual kind of approach where God is everything and we're everything. We're totally responsible. We, we keep pushing ourselves in terms of how much we, you know, everything depends on us, and then we keep saying how much nothing depends on us. That's the tough one. And the Rambam says the answer to that question is part of that world rather than part of our world. It does not have an answer in our world, and therefore it's an invalid question. But that's the real question um, that tests us. So the, the, the interaction we have a problem with. Now, but what we do know is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu does interact with us. Yes? Is that we're going to go back to that point? Um, what would you like to ask? I'm, I'm willing to pursue it. I mean, that seems to be a very fundamental issue because if you're saying that really we can never talk about how Hashem... If, if everything that the Rambam is saying, we can never talk about how there's this interaction between what we perceive as our Bechira our free will, and the fact that Hashem is all-encompassing, that everything is really coming from Hashem. So does that mean that the idea, is the Ramam saying that the idea that Hashem 
is really running the show. It's just supposed to be this sort of intellectual exercise that I just keep in the back of my mind. But the Misa, since I live in this world and I perceive everything as being uh, outcome of my own actions and it's all up to me, so I should always just act as if it's all up to me and just keep in the back of my mind that, you know, there's this idea that really it's all Hashem and my Bechira is just, you know, illusory. And uh, I'll just keep that in mind, but I'm not okay. actually going to do anything. So Pinchas is asking... Uh, how do you cope with it? I mean, it, it's, it's relevant. What mindset do I use? I can use a muscle. I can give a muscle for it. Um, in physics, which is supposed to make sense, um, because at the end of the day, it's a science, there was a riddle for years about the nature of light, whether light is a wave or a particle. Um, very simple description is, I can, I can cause something to fall in two ways. I can throw a ball at it, and therefore there's a ball that goes from my hand to that, to, to, to that place and knocks over something there. Or I can have a line of people, imagine a line of people tightly packed against each other. And I push the person in front of me, and that causes the person in front of him to push, and the person in front of him to push, until the last person pushes the ball down. It means I have not sent any entity across the distance, but I've transferred energy from me to the guy next to me, the guy next to him, and so on and so forth. It's energy that traveled over a medium. That's what's called a wave. Now, um, there are big differences between the two. Um, for instance, a wave requires people. If I want to knock over something with, with energy, with a wave, I'm going to have to pack it with items, which means a vacuum won't work. Light works like that, sound, I'm sorry, works like that. And when you say something, it moves the molecule of air, which moves the next molecule of air, and so on and so forth. If I have packed air, it will come out stronger. If I have a vacuum, it will not come out. Very simple. Light travels through a vacuum, which means it's a particle. But if it's a particle, we have a problem with a polarization effect, um, which basically is um, energy travels in different directions, and if I block one direction, it'll block a certain type of energy, like a po like like um, Polaroid uh, sunglasses. Um, it it and light has that effect. Scientifically, light has many effects of a wave, many effects of a particle, even though those two are really incompatible to our understanding. What we've learned is that we can't solve that problem in a way that's meaningful to us. I mean, yes, we call it, they call it a wavicle, they call it a this, they call it that. The end of the day, what we live with is a duality. Light will exhibit certain properties. It will go through a vacuum. It will be polarized. And many uh, different, different types of, um, a, a, a depending on um, what the case is, we will categorize as one or the other. Even though we really don't understand how it works. There are many, there, 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 as, as physics has gone into the, the world, into the small world of quantum, there are a lot of things that don't, quote unquote, make sense. We accept it as reality because we see the results of it, and we've learned to live with, um, you know, I know points about it, but the thing in itself as a whole doesn't really make sense. So people can live with it. Basically, the result, when asked, the question of Pchira versus Yediyah makes um, a, a category up to a certain Olam. Yediyah works, 
from that olam down, Bechira works. Basically, it means when we analyze um, when we analyze events, we look at Bechira in one way and we look at it in another way. It's something that I do want to refer to later and a lot of its practical ramifications, but, uh, but for now, I, I think that we'll have to do with that. Um, the, those are the... Uh, now, the, the w- there is, however, a realm that we can deal with, and this is where the other things come into play. Akarisbar who wants to interact with us in this world, besides dumping us into this world and saying, Kindlech, make the best of it that you can, and I'll be behind the curtain, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants an interaction with him in this world. Nevua, Beis HaMikdash, Basko, Lifnei Hashem, Hashkachopratis, and so on. That is the arena of religious activities. The relationship between us and HaKadosh Baruch Hu has, it's like the tip of the iceberg, which actually is in our world. Those are the areas that the Pasuk uses terms to describe HaKadosh Baruch Hu's um, great hand, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's sitting lemishpat. That's where the Torah allows itself to use those terms in order to um, describe those activities. In our world, the activity of, um, of showing somebody how bad he's been is called anger, um, and that's why we use anger. The the way in which we describe um, a reflection of satisfaction with some of his activities is schok, and and uh, we can use that takarish baruch hu is 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 besimcha and so on. That's where and that's how the Ramah explains all those terms. This is a standard explanation, but we're just trying to put it into the context. Akarish baruch hu is described as such in the arena of worldly of worldly interaction with men. By the way, this is also the world of Kabbalah, um, which many people think is a study of God, is wrong. It's almost kfira to say it as such. Um, the reason why Kabbalah was kept away from the masses for many generations was because... Th- to speak meaningfully about anything, we need to have terminology. Terminology very easily leads to um, a kind of visual imagination. When we speak of God's great hand, somewhere we draw a picture of a hand, and a big one, in, our, in the back of our minds. And that would be Kfira. Um, the Rav Shemei when he starts his, his major teachings in his Idra, he starts with the error in the Pasuk of anyone that makes uh, a pestle, Tumunas Kol, any, any type of a physical uh, representation of God, even if it's in our imagination, is Kfira. So Kabbalah deals with the interaction of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Darke Ha'anhag of HaKadosh Baruch Hu with the world. It does not deal with HaKadosh Baruch Hu because there is no discipline that can deal with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu acts in different ways, and those take on physical terms. They, they get split up into ten spheres. But we're talking about very clearly the domain where the two kiss each other, where the, the beyond and the here and now touch each other. We can describe what we see on our side 
of the relationship. So the um, all the psukim and so on that refer to that type of thing are referring to Hanhagas Hakadosh Baruch Hu, and those are spoken of in physical terms. Yes. When you're saying Hanhagas Hakadosh Baruch Hu, you're saying the way we perceive Hashem guiding this world event. Yes. Um, and one of the reasons, for instance, let's take an example. We love people who use a certain picturesque language. It helps get us a, it helps uh, give us a certain sense of, uh, of things. Um, for instance, let's say a person walks into a forest um, and he says, I saw the trees swaying back and forth in prayer. And, and as the wind, as the spirit filled them, as the wind filled them, they seemed to reach upwards trying to loosen themselves from the physical bounds. It, 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 it gives a certain insight that without that metaphor description you wouldn't have. And that's, that's why it is important that terminology and, and picturesque terminology will give us uh, insights and feelings that's very hard when, when you're dealing with the intangible. But it's very important to keep that balance. I want to add the Rambam. There's a Rambam Mornavuchim that says an extraordinary reason why is it that the Torah uses such terms. Um, the uh, the Rambam is the big. The Mornavuchim was written not as a general guide to religion. You know, I mean, it, you know, there's many elements there, but the guide to the perplexed, the perplexed of the guy who's perplexed is that on the one hand the foundation of foundations in Judaism is God's incorporeality on the other hand all of Nevi'im are full of seeming descriptions of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's, that's, the, 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 that's what the Rambam is talking about and the Rambam spends the, big, the biggest part of the Sefer is spent on redefining terms about HaKadosh Baruch Hu and about reiterating this point on and again that this is something even most feeble-minded of Kaisal, as long as they're Pardas, must believe the total incorporeality of God. So why, Tzaram so why does the Torah use terms that are um, misleading? And the Raman says something very fascinating. He says, if the Torah would have spoken about using abstract philosophical terms, or refrained at all from using terms, we would also feel that a Kaddish Baruch Hu is not real. It, it's, you know, philosophy is a world of things that don't exist really. So when we say his memory will be with us forever, when a secular person says his memory shall remain with us forever, he basically means as long as there's money to dedicate a scientific someplace. I, I mean, those are the words. Um, he's, he's, oh, the goodness and inspiration has reached out in the world and chased away darkness and ignorance and prejudice. Are words. I mean, they're nice words and they're, they're beautiful words, but they're not real. The, whatever the punishment is in Gehenim, it's real. It's not just a metaphor, the bear that we do will pursue us and give us no rest. There's something that hurts. It's, it's an Ashama hurt, whatever it is, but it's exactly the, the, a fire hurts and this hurts and and it's very very real it may not be physical but there is emotional pain that's very powerful and very real 
most people commit suicide do it because they can't bear emotional pain rather than physical pain. But the Torah needs to needs to come to us not as some sort of philosophical fluff. It needs to come to us as something very real. That's the Rama writes, and that's why the Torah, in choosing the lesser of two evils, um, choosing the lesser of two evils, needed to um, use a term that is physical, and take the risk that we would not relate to its um, to relate to emis, make that mistake, rather than reducing the whole Torah to something that's very, very fluffy and vague and so on and so forth. So <coughs> let's sum up a bit some of the things we've spoken about um, that we've said until now. The def- we defined God last time as the core definition is existence without cause and by correlation the primary cause for the world. We have um, then gone on to establish some necessary corollaries of that. That is the incorporeality of God. God is not physical in any sense of the word. Nothing about God that translates into a physical term exists. God's um, infiniteness, which is not a measure of greatness, but means simply no words that limit God are correct. God's unity, the way the Rambam explains it, is part of this picture, that, that you don't have something which is um, many and it does not have limit and a certain sense of corporeality, being that limit and corporeality are kind of interchangeable for the Rambam. The, um, we added that God is the moral essence of the world, and it's a point we're going to come back to later when we speak about morality and so on. And then we've explained how do we deal with all those verses um, that seem to imply that the Torah is full of terminology, and even though the the um, keeps saying kaviyochol and sabbas ozen in many terms like that, but the Torah uses those terms. So we we explained that they are descriptions not about God. They are descriptions about God as he relates to us. The relationship is a relationship that has its own dynamics. It has cause and effect, that relationship. And it's something that we can have a handle on it. Maybe not the entire picture, but part of the picture. Those relationships are best described in terms that are human. Uh, first of all, because once we're talking about a relationship, we're talking about something that's already within the context of this world. And secondly like the Rambam says, to make it a very, very real and imminent uh, entity, not something fluff. Um, I want to add, I want to tell to a Kuzari, when he speaks about Elohim and Havaya, he speaks about the difference between the God of Abraham and the God of Aristotle. Um, very, very moving piece. The Kuzari says, the God of Aristotle is an intellectual construct. Um, it might be a dry truth that Aristotle felt was good, but nobody loved it, nobody gave his life for it, nobody prayed to it. In other words, um, intellectual points may be true or false, but they don't relate to a person. They're not entities with will 
and 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 the the word relationship to a person just doesn't exist. Um, you know, math is full of truths, and we accept it as such, and it's great. But um, those truths are not part of our life. So it's it's a very very dry definition of it. The God of Abraham is a living God. It's it's some it is it is the person another person is the entity that shows us that wants to relate to us that wants us to reach out to the emiss and to the tov and it's a very tough one it, it's we have to love the tov and the emiss the way we would um, love a person we're drawn to it we're willing to sacrifice our lives for it um, and 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 so on and um, and yet the essence is beyond us so in that world of relationship, and that's the realm that Kabbalah, and it's the only realm that Kabbalah deals with. And every Kabbalah safe is filled with hakdamis, belisof. Don't want to use the word ainsof, but it, you sometimes look at it. Every every sefer that that starts out by teaching Kabbalah, there's there's a there's a, a tremendous amount of hakdamis, the chasdeshon, 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 chasdeshon. I'm talking about God, not anything about God. Even the word ainsof doesn't describe God, and so on. All of it is for that reason. Because any time we start dealing with these things, it can become chas v'shalom a conduit for going off the derech chas But the point of it is to understand that there is a junction where the two meet, and that's really where our voter is. Yes, business. So along the lines of the Kabbalists find that Kabbalah has done us in terms of, you know, chas we're not actually talking about God. Right. So, I mean, this might be a silly question, but what's to stop us from sort of worshipping an idol and that we're just sort of worshipping God's hanhaga with this war as opposed to, you know, God himself in quotation marks, I guess. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. Um, there, uh, there are you, um, it actually, this point is mentioned, for instance, the Gemari of Amis says, why is Shabbos his uskash of Besamigdash, Besamigdash is hukash of Shabbos, just like Shabbos, you're not in awe of the Shabbos, but of the one who commanded you, because Shabbos is really a non-physical entity, so to Besamigdash, you should be in awe of the one that commanded it, rather than the Besamigdash itself. And when you bring Karbanis, it says, Ki'im l'ashem bulvada, zovech l'alohim yochram, and Ramban says, any type of in prayer, which is a direct confrontation with Akadosh Baruch Hu, we have to be meticulous in weeding out any relationship, dealing with anything but the one behind it all. It is a difficult thing, um, but part of uh, that's part of the avoda is to focus on the Akadosh Baruch Hu within it all, and um, despite the fact that it, it's beyond us, There's, there is no yes, it's a tough one. That's the avoda. So that is saying we're really supposed to be focusing on Hashem, but we don't, we can't really say anything about Hashem. We don't really. Right. We can only say what Hashem is not. Right. And, and that's and what we're focusing on. Right. And, and and the truth is, um, there's a muscle for it actually that we can relate to. If there's a person that we like and a person that we really feel good about, we, it starts with externalities. The person has an attractive appearance. The person is a kind and disposed person. The person is witty. The person is intelligent. The person is understanding. And we like him. But we feel there's an neshama behind it. And an neshama is an intangible. 
but somehow the person that we really like and we bond with, um, we know that it's the neshama, the, the very essence that we're not touching, feeling. Even if I hug a person, the neshama is quote-unquote within that body, but um, you know, the neshama is, is not tangible. But I know that the more I know the person, and the more I put my quote-unquote arms around him, I, I have, I, I'm getting to a deeper part of the person, but I'll never be able to quote-unquote touch base with the neshama. That's, that's reality of it. And yet, uh, we live with it. And uh, we understand that who he is and what he is is a reflection of his inner essence, and his inner essence is, will always elude us. That's a difficulty we have, and that's all we have to do with it. Okay.